It's all about a frictionless future of a customer experience. It's about removing friction from the experience. And so it's about being available and letting consumers talk on their time and on their terms, helping people when they're ready, not when you're ready. Welcome to the Authentically Successful Show. I'm Carol Schultz, founder and CEO of Vertical Elevation, a talent equity and leadership coaching and advisory firm. We partner with founders and CEOs to create talent-centric organizations, either where they don't currently exist or rebuild companies into talent-centric organizations. We are committed to supporting your vision and values by creating healthy, successful companies, leveraging the best talent, retention, development, and succession strategies. Listen at the end of the show for information about becoming my next guest on one of the most important podcasts for building thriving companies. Here we go. Joining me today is David Tall, co-founder and co-CEO of Verse, a next-generation lead conversion platform that's 100% focused on inbound lead conversion. A San Diego native and VC-backed entrepreneur for 10-plus years, David has always been passionate about putting San Diego on the map as as a center of tech, innovation, and disruption. This passion has driven him and Verse to become one of San Diego's fastest-growing companies. After graduating with a degree in economics from UCLA in 2003, David experienced firsthand how quickly the world had moved online and how consumer journeys increasingly began and lived online. He also saw how businesses were trying to engage and communicate with this new growing stream of online leads and prospects. So he set out to help companies in real estate and other industries create the most effective and authentic connections with their prospects. And this goal has been successfully achieved by effectively merging the best abilities of AI and people. David, welcome to the show. Thank you, Carol. Pleasure to be here. My pleasure to have you. So you started Verse with your brother Avi in uh, January of 2013. Um, It was started by the name of Agentology. You've taken $17 million in investment over three rounds. Tell me a little bit about the founding of the company with your brother, the pivot from agentology to verse, and then we'll kind of go on from there. Sure. Um, You know, so after college, I had a few stints um, trying to do a few things. I I try to make it in the movie industry um, uh, behind the camera, not in front, Um, (laughs) and and had a few other uh, attempts um, at, at different dream lives. Um, and, uh, and I, I got into real estate. Uh, my uncle was a very successful developer, uh, in Mexico and was about to start, um, building in San Diego. And so I decided I, I really wanted some experience in real estate. I always loved architecture. And, um, and so I got my real estate license to start working with them. And, um, along the way, as I was getting my license, uh, the, the real estate market crashed, the housing bubble, the great recession hit. Um, and so I was kind of stuck there with my license, um, and, a, a, a crumbling economy around me. And so I really had to, you know, pull myself up from my bootstraps and, and figure things out. And so, um, I started working with a, with a local boutique brokerage. And quickly started to try to figure out how am I going to how am I going to grow my business? And so I 
I started buying leads uh, from websites like Zillow and Realtor.com to, to feed myself uh, potential business. Um, and, uh, and I did pretty well with that myself. And within a couple of years, I, I became a broker, a real estate broker, mm-hmm. and, and had a team of you know, 10 to 15 agents uh, under me, under my wing, who I then was buying leads for. And so I was generating leads on Zillow, Realtor.com, at Homes.com, all the sites, mm-hmm. my website, driving traffic to it, and sending those leads over to my real estate agents. Um, and very, very quickly realized that they did a pretty terrible job of following up with those prospects. They would call once <laughs> right. and, and uh, maybe leave a voicemail. Um, and I would ask them a day later or two days later, hey, how did it go with, with those leads I sent you? And they would say, oh, I, uh, they're all junk. I couldn't get a hold of anybody. I, called, I already called and I left a voicemail and no one has even called me back. And at first, this wasn't surprising. It was just sort of like I, I almost agreed with them. Um, but then I started to try to contact the, the clients myself and found that if I made a few more attempts, mm-hmm. uh, it would work and I would actually get a hold of a lot more people. Um, and so, um, what, what, and, and then along the way I started trying text messaging and that worked like a charm. I mean, almost 100% of people would respond, even if it was to say, you know what, I filled out the form, but I'm not interested. You know, you can re- remove me from your list. Fine. Fine. Um, but everyone else would respond and pretty positively to, to text. And so I realized that there was a real opportunity here to, you know, leverage this, this, you know, uh, uh, power of SMS texting to engage more prospects, uh, for any business, uh, not just real estate, but because we were so in, in, into real estate, my, and my brother was in the marketing world, a really smart marketer, you know, we, we joined forces and we decided to try to solve this problem for the real estate industry. And so we created Agentology, uh, which was, you know, the science of real estate right. to help real estate agents and brokers better communicate and be able to engage more of the leads they were buying. They were buying millions of leads a year from these websites, having very, very low success rates. Uh, and so that's where Agentology started was helping. Uh, we developed a platform where agents could funnel in and connect all their lead sources from anywhere. And as leads were generated in real time, our agentology platform would instantly kick off an SMS conversation to uh, engage those prospects, qualify them, um, and, uh, and ultimately set up appointments uh, with qualified home buyers for, for real estate agents. Um, and this platform was uh, a combination of automation and people at the time, very little AI in its infancy. You know, we were automating drips to, to get people to engage and respond to our mm-hmm. texting. Mm-hmm. And when they texted, our humans would just jump in and, and carry that conversation forward. Interesting. Um, so that was, those were the beginning days. Um, along the way, uh, we realized that the problem that we had solved um, was not just a real estate leads problem. It was an internet leads problem. And the same behaviors and expectations uh, you know, existed across the board, no matter the industry or, or use case, whether you're buying a car, looking for a mortgage, looking for a, a, a plumber. Um, it's hard to reach people in, in a busy world uh, and certainly in a 24-7 internet age. And so um, 
And so we, we rebranded a few years ago to Verse, inspired by uh, you know, helping businesses converse with their prospects. And, uh, and we set out to help every industry under the sun uh, engage and qualify more prospects at scale. Mm-hmm. So it, it sounds a little bit, and I'm, I'm sure I'm simplifying it here, like a, a, a CRM in some ways. Yeah. I would, I would, um, you know, a CRM is usually store used to store contact information and it, yep. and it has some capabilities. Um, we look at this more like bringing the experience of live chat, that kind of instant ability to start talking to a company Got it. over SMS. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a much more preferred uh, channel of communication. So we see ourselves more as a customer engagement platform Got it. Um, than a customer management platform. Mm-hmm. But there are some overlaps. Yeah. I, I want to step back a little bit to what you said about, you know, your, your, your uh, agents complaining, oh, you know, these lists are crappy and, you know, nobody's returning our phone calls, <laughs> you know, after one attempt, right? So uh, anyone listening to this that has ever been in sales knows, you know, you have to, I mean, really at a minimum four attempts to get a hold of somebody, typically. And um, I have to wonder, because of the low barrier to entry that is real estate, if that was maybe part of the problem that people come in, they can go get a, they can go get a license. I mean, you did, right? And, you know, are you actually trained on how to sell? I mean, my experience with realtors has been most of them don't actually know how to sell. Yeah. um, You know, there are one and a half million realtors and there are about five million homes sold per year. Right. Um, And so there are way too many realtors. That's number one. Right. Right. and it's the 2080 rule, you know, 20% of them are selling 80% of everything. Of course. Um, but you're right in, in real estate, you know, the, the bar to entry is a state test around real estate law. Mo- mostly, um, it does not teach you how to market. It does not teach you how right. to communicate with customers and how to nurture prospects. Um, and that's why, um, you know, so many realtors, you know, w- when they get licensed, what they do is they'll go and join a team that has some of those resources that they could leverage and learn from. It's really hard to be a sole, you know, man, woman kind of out there doing all the things, wearing all the hats. Um, it's possible, but it's a lot harder. And that's why uh, most people kind of merge into teams that have these other resources. So what did you do back then? Okay. With your team of, of brokers to, to train them up. So I, I invested in my team of agents. I, I, um, I would send them to seminars uh, with some of the top real estate mm-hmm. coaches in the country. Uh, I would buy them books. Uh, there were some very popular books uh, for real estate agents. Um, and ultimately, I would build processes um, that helped them, um, you know, basically navigate the process. So taking a lot of the guesswork out, um, building processes and, and you know, Here's how we prospect. Here's how we handle a new listing appointment. Uh, here's how we're going to market listings, you know, and create consistency because when you create consistency, you can create scalability. Of course. Yeah, that's really fantastic. So, so you know, as I mentioned, you've, you've uh, taken $17 million of, of uh, institutional capital over three rounds uh, since you founded the company, you know, almost 10 years ago. Um, what has your investors excited about what you're up to at first? You know, I think, I think one of the most exciting things, uh, about where we're at as a company is 
that we're, we're, we're basically bursting out of some of our core industries where we got started and right. tackling so many exciting new industries. You know, we mm-hmm. started in real estate. The next vertical we went into was mortgage. And that would make sense. Yeah, right. Of course. Uh, sure. Then we then we branched into solar companies uh, and then all home services. Um, and and now we are in uh, education, insurance, healthcare, automotive, Ooh. legal. Um, and, and, and it's really unlimited because right. what we realized is that you know, uh, engaging prospects isn't the problem of any one industry. It's, uh, it's the problem of today's modern world and the modern consumer is, is busy. They are seeing ads all the time. There's noise. And so the modern consumer has a high guard naturally up. Uh, and, and so by, by creating solutions that help, uh, companies, you know, cut through that noise and be heard, um, it's a very powerful effect. And so, we're just excited to be bringing verse to the rest of the world and ultimately to more and more use cases and and countries. Mm -hmm. David, how do your prospects find you or are you finding them? Or is it a combination of inbound and outbound? Yeah, it's both. We have an outbound team with a list of targets of the kinds of companies we know we really succeed well with, Um, you know, fast growing, uh, large lead generating B2C companies is usually who we uh, serve best. So it's companies who are generating, you know, thousands or tens of thousands, or in some cases, hundreds of thousands, millions of leads a month. Um, and and h- how do you bring efficiencies to, you know, that problem? If you're generating five or 10 leads a month, you're, you're not an ideal customer for us. We, we work with larger businesses who are generating, you know, thousands of leads a month, and, and we can bring tremendous efficiencies. I mean, just to help companies with leads that come in after hours. 45% of leads come in after hours. And so if you're generating mm-hmm. even just a thousand leads a month, that's 450 leads. Almost half of those leads come in when you're not there. And when right. your agents or team or salespeople are not responding to them quickly. And so being able to help them is powerful. So, so outbounding. And then of course, you know, traditional marketing, um, thought leadership. We put a lot of valuable content out there. Yep. Uh, we're launching a podcast, things like that, that uh, we have a webinar series on, on conversion um, as well that helps educate our community. So people are buying leads. Your, your customers are buying leads and for their business. And, you know, it is your example. Somebody buys a thousand leads. Ha- almost half of those are coming in after hours. But of those thousand leads, how many are actually qualified? Do you know? Fantastic question. And, and, yeah. and it's a hard one to answer because it really depends on the quality of leads that you buy. Right. Um, or, how you, or how you're generating them. There's a lot right. of clickbait where mm-hmm. you can get leads for a buck. Fewer of them are going to be, you know, uh, reachable. And even fewer of those will be really qualified if you kind of trick them into filling out a form. Um, and so uh, it, it, there's a lot of that. If someone comes on your website, reads what you got going on and then fills out a form to request info or a demo, much higher qualified rate. Um, but you raise an interesting point, which is um, it, the, one of the biggest shifts that I've seen in, in the last 20 years is a shift from, from a focus on quantity to quality. Everyone has been focused on, oh, how many leads are you going to mm-hmm. sell me? You know, they sign, lead generators were always pitching, well, for this mm-hmm. much, we will sell you this many leads. That's more leads than that guy will sell you. And that was the, the apples to apples. And today you see things moving more into, you know, uh, performance-based marketing or commission-based. 
um, success-based um, because quality is more important today. Um, and also people want fewer leads, but higher quality because time is the most precious resource of course. and they don't want their teams digging through and hounding and chasing down a hundred leads to find the, the 10 or 20 that are most worthwhile really speaking to and spending their time with. And so what we do at Verse is we, we help those companies who generate really high volumes of leads. We help filter out that noise. We help engage everybody. A lot of people will say, not interested, leave me alone. Uh, I, I fill out the form, but I'm not interested anymore. Um, I'm buying in a year, uh, you know, and so we can disqualify people and prioritize others who say, I actually need to buy right now. Um, or, or my roof is leaking. I need someone today. That's high priority as opposed to someone just saying, oh, you know, I'm, I'm, what does a new roof cost? You know, and, and so helping those companies spend their time and resources wisely and efficiently, uh, again, allows them to really scale and to grow their business without hiring more people. Right. Yeah, that's really interesting. Uh, do you have any competitors in your business? Of course not. <laughs> Seriously? <laughs> no, you know, I, I think if I, didn't have any, if I didn't have any competitors, I would be worried that, hey, right. maybe, maybe this isn't that good of an right. idea. No, yeah. no one else is copying yeah. us. So let's talk about uh, the competitive nature of your business then, yeah. Sure. You know, there are, um, like. and like other businesses, we do things our own unique way, but there are a lot of great companies out there that are trying to solve similar problems through different means and methods. Um, and so there are companies that, that, that help businesses text by giving the salespeople the tools to text. There are um, automation companies that help you just automate, you know, text or email, you know, marketing automation. Um, what we've really done and, and we've patent, we're patenting, patent pending, is, is create the optimal blend of AI plus human to create a superhuman experience. Great. And what that means is, and this is unique to us, is that we initiate conversations with prospects with conversational AI, proprietary conversational mm-hmm. AI. It has real two, two-way conversations. We have the two-way conversations uh, with the prospects through our AI and our people that are trained to jump in and, and, and carry conversations forward whenever the AI you know, isn't confident enough to respond on its own for whatever reason. If a conversation goes off the rails or people are misspelling things or whatever, um, our humans can jump in and carry that conversation forward and actually train the AI at the exact same time. That's how we've developed the system to self-optimize over time. And so what, what I would say makes us different than really everything out there is everything out there is, is a one-way and, and we believe that 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 marketing automation and, and those solutions have all been have always been one one way. You know, uh, you're, you're dripping things to, to customers. Um, what we've created is is conversation automation. It's conversation campaigns, the first two way campaign out there. And so, at any moment in a customer's journey, we can launch and, and trigger based. We can launch a two way conversation campaign. So. Normally, a marketer says, oh, if this person opens this, uh, mm-hmm. downloads this PDF white paper, send this email, right? That, mm-hmm. That's one way. Mm-hmm. What we do is if someone opens a white paper, we start a two-way conversation. We say, hey, Carol, Alex here with blank, blank company. Just saw you download our white paper. Um, we'd love to chat. You know, uh, let me know if there's a good time this week. You have any questions? So it's a very different, it's a conversational approach to engagement. That's really interesting. 
So what happens when when somebody downloads your white paper in the middle of the night? I mean, do you do you, do you have do you have people somewhere in the world that are actually having these conversations with people? Yeah, live? absolutely. Awesome. I, I mean, our AI is doing most of it. Um, okay, but yeah, we have a twenty four seven team. We have okay. uh, uh, teams around the world at this point um, that help those conversations um, happen anytime. And and our our view here is is we need to be available. And this is a paradigm shift. It used to be, hey. You're a customer. You're interested in what I have to sell. Well, you should come to my office when I'm open on these days between nine to five. And by the way, I'm out at lunch from 12 to one. Oh, oh, and you came uh, and I'm busy today, by the way, you didn't make an appointment. So yeah. it's friction. It's yeah. you, you create friction. And, and that made sense back in the day. But in a 24 seven world that moves this fast, the, the future is frictionless. That's right. Uh, and I'm giving a big talk about this. Um, at, at the conversion conference next month at the Caesars Palace, and and it's all about a frictionless future of a customer experience. It's about removing friction um, from the experience, and so it's about being available and letting consumers talk on their time and on their terms. It's about helping people when they're ready, not when you're ready. And so we have to create opportunities and maybe different levels of engagement, but we have to. We can't just ignore people. Uh, and if someone wants to talk at 10 or 11 p.m., we can't discriminate against their time preference. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe they they work a graveyard shift or have a completely different lifestyle mm-hmm. or shift than you do. Not everyone works nine to five. Right. And so that it's it's those things that I believe will will make the future a much more frictionless place and allow communication to flow more smoothly across the board. That's really interesting. Uh, what would you say are the biggest challenges? Uh, I think I've heard some of them from you, but the biggest challenges you're facing, you know, with Verse and in your industry at large. I, I would say that challenges is a hard one. I mean, I mean, every business has just natural challenges of scaling. I, I, our biggest challenge is is a scaling challenge. You know, we're 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 going fast. We're signing right. up, you know, huge enterprise customers and just trying to keep up with the demand. So I'd say it's a they're good mm-hmm. challenges. Um, I think that I think that the greatest opportunity, which stems from a challenge, is, is is that today, as much as you and I and everyone I've ever asked agrees and, and fundamentally understands that texting is a very powerful way, the most powerful way to engage mm-hmm. a prospect. Eighty-seven percent of people do not answer the phone anymore for numbers that they don't know. Eighty-seven percent. Yeah, I'm so one of those, by the way. To that customer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking about responding to people who raise their hand. I'm not talking about blast marketing. I'm not talking about spam. I'm talking about someone just filled out a form on your site. This is what we do. We don't deal with spam. We we deal with people that just raise their hand. So someone goes on Home Advisor or Angie's List and they they want to quote on a new roof. Um, how does that company engage that prospect effectively and tee them up to succeed with their service pro um, to get a job completed, right? It's that where, where we play. And today, most of those companies are just cold, are just calling the, the, the prospect. Oh, they filled out a form. I'm going to call them 50 times until I get a hold of them. Or I'm going to email them only. And email is only read 22% of the time and hours or days after the email is sent. Phone calls, almost nine out of 10 are not answered. Text, 90% of texts are read within three minutes. 98% of all texts are ultimately read, but 90% within the first few minutes. 
That is the most powerful. That's just, it's not an opinion. It's a stat. Mm -hmm. It's a fact. Um, however, even with that, only 6% of today's businesses in the United States are leveraging SMS. Are, only 6% are using texting to engage with prospects and customers. And so I believe that this challenge is, is yet the greatest opportunity for over the next decade. Uh, it represents the greatest opportunity, the next frontier in, in marketing, I believe, in marketing and sales, is to modernize the way that businesses communicate with their customers and, and helping them evolve and modernize their, their strategies for engagement through SMS. So would you say, and, and I guess I'm looking for an opinion here, you may not know the facts on this. Would you say that this type of a model, the texting model, works best for in a B2C environment rather than a B2B environment? You know, I think, I think, I think it has to do more with um, the urgency factor than anything. Um, if you, but, but, but overall, I would say yes, more so. Although we have very successful customers that we're serving in a B2B format. Absolutely. Um, but they have high volumes uh, and, and that it's hard to keep up with. So we work with large SaaS, you know, enterprise companies as well, um, tech companies. But um, B2C, you're dealing with millions and millions of consumers. So there's just more, more people you need to get a hold of. There's also mm -hmm. more noise and that, therefore there's more opportunity for leverage points that, 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 that really raise the boats. Uh, but to me, it's an urgency factor a speed to lead component, right? Um, you fill out a form and, and my brother, you know, uh, a month or two ago, he was just telling me this example. He, uh, he, his toilet was, was backed up and he couldn't figure out how to fix it. And he might be mad that I'm, that I'm saying this on a recording. Um, so hopefully I won't share this with him, but <laughs> hopefully he was back up. who knows why, <laughs> um, let's not go into the why. Um, but it was backed up. He goes on Yelp kind of frantic, uh, Dot, you know, plumbers in his area. First guy, uh, he leaves a voicemail for it. Second one, uh, it just rings endlessly. Um, third one, um, he, he leaves a voicemail and he fills out the form on Yelp for the person to call him back. Um, neither of them called him back before he went on, on Google and just Googled and then called somebody. And that person just happened to, to pick, pick up. up the phone. Yeah. Right. And so he just went again, he, he didn't need to interview four plumbers. He just went with the first person who can get over there. And that guy got his business, even though that guy wasn't advertising and paying Google, but the other three were the first three sponsored plumbers that are paying for his, for his traffic. And they, and they wasted it completely wasted it. And this is not the exception. It's the absolute rule. Every single day of my life, I experience companies doing this every single day. I'm getting a new pool built. I, I just bought a home. I'm, I'm trying to get a new pool built. That's an expensive item, right? Yep. Especially um, right now, I'm sure. I, 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 I called and contacted four or five of the local San Diego companies um, that, that build pools. Uh, one of them got a hold of me like a couple hours later. That was the fastest. A couple hours later. Within a couple of days, he had come to my house and given me a quote, um, and I just went with him. And and the other companies, um, only one or two contacted me like a week later. One of them contacted me, no, no kidding, three weeks later. Hey, want to talk to you about your pool? I saw you were interested. I'm like, I already signed with another company. Yeah, I already yeah, signed yeah. in. Uh, so, so it's it's just a wild world. It's a lot of opportunity to help companies. 
That's that's actually really fascinating. And they're amazing pool builders. I'll give them that. They build pools better than I do, but they suck bad at the engagement piece. And it's a terrible customer experience as well. It is frustrating to research and put your info, your info that people are more and more sensitive to give on a site and then not even be responded to. It, it feels disrespectful. Um, in today's world, people have different expectations and you feel upset that people yeah. are ignoring you. And I wonder if this is is mostly the problem with small businesses or if it's all over the map. You know, it's it's really all over the map. Sometimes small businesses can do a better job of it because the volumes are less, so they're easier to manage and handle. Right. Sometimes. Yeah. Um, sometimes they're just as big of a mess as, as, as anyone else. And big companies, I certainly think they're dealing in such bigger volumes that the wheels start to fall off the bus when they're growing. And, you know, if you're a big marketplace, you're probably super optimized when you were this big. As you get bigger and are scaling, you lose track, you lose control, mm-hmm. things start to get inefficient. There's more managers, right. you have less insight, less reporting in between, and you, and then inefficiencies grow at every layer. And we we see, it's incredible. I mean, there, I mean, I won't mention this, but one of our competitors, uh, I filled out a form and with a different number that they don't know is yeah. me yeah. and they have never contacted me back and I, I couldn't believe it. And so I created another fake number to text from because I wanted to honestly just do a little competitive research. Right. Of course. And didn't even get back to me. So even companies that do what we do can suck at engaging prospects. It's, it's an amazing thing. And, and why? Because those companies are still just made up of sales and marketing teams. They're not the product. Um, it's just made up of different sales and marketing teams and we're human and I'm not blaming humans. Humans are busy. Humans take lunch breaks. Humans take vacations. Humans are helping other customers at the time. And so being able to automate some of these functions is, is the answer, I believe, because you want to be able to quickly engage the prospect, show them you care, show them your company's on top of it and is going to be responsive. Even if that is to engage them and say, Hey, got your information. When's a good time to connect? and try to schedule them for a later time, it is extremely valuable from a consumer journey perspective to be to feel heard and responded to and feel like, oh, this company is on top of it. That builds trust. Yeah, well, I would imagine it would. So you've got 200 employees now. Uh, tell me a little bit about the growth to 200, your talent strategy, and where you've seen your biggest challenges and maybe mistakes in that growth? You know, um, I mean, the, the employee count has, has, you know, grown organically over, over the last many years. Um, and we've really put an emphasis on, on training management and, and the leadership at every level. And there's a lot of levels now. And, um, and I think that's the best thing we can do because leadership is what can set the tone and the standards for everybody else beneath them. Um, and sometimes I think companies will just hire someone that they think is competent enough mm-hmm. and just put all the trust and expectations. And then they're obviously frustrated very quickly thereafter um, if the person isn't pulling their weight as they continue to scale. Um, and it's usually not the management's fault. It's, it's, it's their leadership's fault for not investing deeper in them as leaders. And, um, you know, one, one of the things that we didn't always do well, but, but I think we're doing really you know, well with now is... Is, is creating uh, uh, talent density. And this is 
I read it uh, in Reed Hastings uh, book um, mm -hmm. about Netflix mm -hmm. and uh, you know, I know they're going through ups and downs right now, mm -hmm. but I don't think anyone's poo pooing a $85 billion company that, that yeah. took mm -hmm. out Blockbuster. So mm -hmm. um, no matter what their stock does in any given week, yeah. but that book is really powerful by the way. And one, one of the biggest messages uh, takeaways I, I got from it was about building talent density mm -hmm. because there's, there's a, there's a nature of people basically um, kind of dropping to the lowest standard on that team, kind of the weakest link concept, mm -hmm. but everyone becomes that weak link. And what happens is, is let's just talk about an engineering team. If you have 10 engineers and seven of them are super talented, hardworking, incredible engineers, but you bring on three very subpar, lazy, critical, you know, kind of energy sucking mm -hmm. engineers, mm -hmm. what'll happen is those three engineers won't raise to the level of the other seven. What happens is the seven will stoop down and drop to the level of the three because they don't feel, well, why should I work so much harder? These guys are, are at this level. Why am I putting in all this extra time and working it? Why does it matter? We're all part of this team. And, and so what happens is it averages down, not up. Um, and so that's a mistake too. People say, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to raise the standards of my average team by bringing on some superstars. Right. It actually doesn't work super well. What you have to do, unfortunately, is get rid of average people um, kindly and respectfully with nice Correct. severance. Um, and, uh, and by the way, those average people might be superb in other companies and other roles. Usually right. it's a wrong person, right, wrong seat kind of thing or right person, wrong seat kind of situation. And it's about building density. And what happens is, let's just say you only have a team of seven super solid engineers. They will produce the same as 15 or 20 average engineers. And they start to elevate each other, almost compete with one another about who's more amazing and who can do more. So talent density is, is key to scaling without mm -hmm. losing control of the organization. Right. Well, and it's interesting to look at it that way. You know, I look at it more from a standpoint um, – because yes, he grew a you know multi billion dollar company, um, but he wasn't. He maybe early on he was, but overall he wasn't on the front lines of how are we you know who who are the people we need and how are we finding those right? Yeah. And um, what I would say is, and you've already talked a little bit about this, is you know putting the emphasis you know on training management and leadership because you know leadership sets the tone right, and there's no question about that right. If your leadership is not fully aligned. You can't build a town strategy that'll support what you're doing. It's not possible. So, the other so thing it, I'll add, yeah, I'm sorry, Carol. No, go ahead. Uh, another thing I'll add that that plays into that is a, a culture of transparency. And, and mm -hmm. I understand maybe that's not as possible or, or even worth doing necessarily in every single company to every degree. But in, in our case, we have taken the approach of complete transparency mm -hmm. uh, with our um, with our uh, employees. Because we want them to understand uh, how the company's doing. We want them to feel like stakeholders. They, they're all literal stakeholders. We give stock to every employee. Of course. Yep, yep, yep. So we want them to feel like owners and be empowered like owners to understand when we're doing well, when we're not doing so well, what those challenges are, when we have to make big decisions, tough decisions, layoffs, whatever it mm -hmm. can be over years, they, they, more understand, they better understand and aren't surprised because they understand, oh, well, things weren't going well for this long and here in this department and Actually, I respect their decision to make a change as opposed to, oh, I can't believe they don't care about people and they just let people go. 
that's just one example, right? Of if you're behind a curtain and don't understand why decisions are being made versus understanding where people are coming from because they're really looking out for the entire organism of the company, which makes them makes make, is made up of them as well. So transparency is key. At our um, at our monthly all hands, we share revenue numbers, we share cash positions, we share investments, we share all sorts of things. Um, anything that we can, you know, without compromising, you know, you know, HR violations. But we we share as much as we can um, with with our team, and I think that builds trust, accountability, um, and ultimately alignment for you know what what's to come. Mm-hmm. So if you look at the, over the last, you know, nine and a half years, um, the turnover you have experienced, because of course everybody does experience turnover. What would you say were the causes of that? Um, I, uh, I'll ultimately blame myself for any of it. Um, and that's because I, in the past failed to invest more in certain managers. Yeah. Very Um, smart. Or mm-hmm. I put people up, I almost not purposefully, but I may have set people up to fail. Mm-hmm. A, an amazing salesperson is not necessarily going to make an amazing sales director. That's <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. And I see this over I do. and over and over again. An yeah. incredible uh, marketing, uh, uh, you know, kind of doer uh, mm-hmm. uh, is not necessarily an incredible CMO. Right. Um, right. They could be. And, and I love giving people opportunity, but it doesn't always, one doesn't always mean the other. And so I've made that mistake. Um, I've made the mistake of, of not taking certain things more seriously, of not listening to concerns quicker um, and letting them bubble up to the point where they boil over. Um, and so I, I ultimately blame myself because I, I would have to say in almost every single situation where there was turnover, um, there's something that could point back to something we can learn from it or do better in the future. And I think that's the approach we take today. And now our, at our executive uh, meetings, which we have every single week with my entire executive leadership, one of the topics we talk about every week is, is was there any, uh, uh, you, know, um, you know, voluntary turnover? Um, it's really rare today. I mean, we see zero, 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 and every now and then, oh, one, and we discuss it. Anytime there's a one or rarely a two, very rare, We'll discuss it and we'll really try to figure it out. And we, now we don't just discount it and say, oh, well, they just weren't a fit. Maybe, that was a, maybe that's the truth, but we will still discuss it and understand right. it and make sure that we're not missing anything else, that we can do better as a company. Ultimately, I take, I take my responsibility immensely um, because of two things. One, um, you know, I'm responsible for the livelihood of, of hundreds of people now. And they have families and they have kids and they have dreams of their own. And, and that's a responsibility I take seriously. And, and secondly, you know, people spend more time at work than at home, if you really think about it. Um, and, you know, you, you're, you're at work for eight hours. You get home at, at five uh, or six and you go to sleep at 10. That's less hours than you're at work. Uh, I mean, we're not counting sleep here. So if you think about it, Making work an enjoyable, passionate place to, to live, um, to live your life is, is, is a responsibility I think leaders should take more seriously than just they're here to make their paycheck and leave. Uh, no, I, I mean, they're, this is where they live most of their life. And, uh, and we can't ignore that. It's important. So uh, it, it, when you discover that somebody leaves voluntarily, 
Is it something that could have been avoided had you known about it sooner? A, a lot of the time. Absolutely. Absolutely. So then my question is, would you say, uh, you know, if I, if I made you put yourself on a scale of one to 10, one being the lowest, 10 being the highest, that you have a culture of feedback, where would you put yourself on that scale? Today, I, it's a 10. Today, right. it wasn't always. We have we okay. have quarterly surveys now for the whole company. We, we survey the entire company to get a pulse. We have built-in feedback one-on-ones with managers and their direct reports mm-hmm. every month. I mean, it's, a consi- it's now part of our consistent process. Um, it's not to say we're never going to have turnover, but I don't know how much more transparent we can get. We have open Slack channels. I am a very accessible CEO. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have awesome. office hours once yeah. a month where, you know, virtual now, but office hours where people can come on, ask any questions, raise any concerns. Um, and I do have people who, um, you know, uh, maybe someone three levels down from an org chart perspective that will slack me with a concern. And um, I don't think a lot of companies have that. I'm very proud that we have that. Extremely proud. Um, it's, it's helped us avoid crises in the past. You know, because someone was able to speak out um, and and feel um, confident enough to do so. So I, I think that's important. I agree, and and I would also agree with that. Most companies do not have a culture of feedback, right? And you know, the the I mean, there are many there are many factors that go into why people leave. And like I said, it it all really boils down to leadership alignment and and building a town strategy to support it. But um. Without that culture of feedback, which is, of course, part of your talent strategy, right, uh, you're going to lose people because, you know, they don't feel like they can talk to their, their direct manager or, you know, what if they do say something to the direct manager and that person doesn't do anything about it and now, you know, I don't have any access to somebody who actually can potentially make a yeah. change, right? One other thing we implemented uh, a couple of years ago was something called skip levels, which is basically mm-hmm. just like it sounds. Right. It, it, for what you just said, uh, it's hard for someone to complain to their manager about their manager. If you think about that. Well, depending on the relationship, right? I mean, if depending people are trained properly, you can do it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but, but to secure against any potential filtering to the top mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. from that manager of yep. any feedback at the bottom, we've implemented skip levels where every employee also gets interviewed by the person above that their manager. direct manager. And yeah. it's not to get dirt on the manager. It's uh-huh. to just hear feedback from the customer. How's everything? It's not all meant to be about the manager, but it's to really understand one level higher. How's everything going? What can we be doing? Is there a concern with your manager? That's the opportunity to bring it up. Um, and, and allows us to take those lessons or feedback and figure out how to either train people up, give, give that manager a little more feedback or direction or training um, to, to support them. It's not about tattletaling. It's about supporting each other. And at first, at least we built a culture of, of one team, you know, and, and, you know, we're, we're all rowing in the same direction and, and we're, we're, we're a big ship. I may be a captain, but I can point the boat anywhere, but it's not going to go unless someone's, you know, uh, uh, you know, putting fuel in the back and steering Mm -hmm. and and making Mm -hmm. sure everything else is working fine. So it mm-hmm. takes everyone to, to move the ship. Yep. Agreed. Um, so would you say that what you've just described is one of the things or what makes your company culture unique? Or is it or is I, I there something else? I do think we have a really unique uh, mm-hmm. I do think we have a unique culture. And it's something that, um, 
you know, in, investors and, and others um, and, and, and board members have, have definitely pointed out that, that, you know, we're in the 1% in terms of a, a really positive culture and, and feedback loop. Um, it's just a part of who we are and we're, we're kind of an authentic organization and, and, and we have culture. We celebrate everybody. We celebrate everyone's birthdays, no, no matter how new you are mm-hmm. or what position mm-hmm. you're in. Um, and, and we really try to give encouragement across the board and feedback, productive feedback across the board. That's great. So you mentioned that you're now 100% remote. How is that affecting your culture and the ability to have people really get to know each other? You know, that it's, 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 it's certainly a challenge. It's, it's not an easy thing to do. We were so tight-knit. Um, every morning before COVID, you know, we had a big office. Uh, everyone's in San Diego. And I would get in in the morning, and I, the first thing I would do is walk around and fist bump 100% of the employees. I would just give everyone a fist bump hello. Just I would spend my first 10 minutes doing that every morning or 15, whatever long, however long it took. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it was just an acknowledgement of, I see you and I appreciate you, and hey, let's yeah. have a great day. Yeah. Um, so the, our culture was that, you know, um, and having, and we would take, uh, uh, we would do random drawings and take just a random group of employees to lunch and, and, and it didn't matter. And it allowed people that would never interact with CEOs yeah. to, to have those lunches with that. us. We, yeah. we had a really, really tight, um, culture, um, and more things, but, um, that was obviously really tough, uh, of a transition. What we've tried to do is, is, to compensate for it by having more open channels of communication through Slack, through through Zoom meetings for office hours, for all hands where we're doubling down on transparency. Um, and now, and I'm super excited that we're going to have our first uh, company retreat uh, uh, in August where we're flying everyone in. We have employees now in 22 states. We went from just San Diego to 22 states. Um, and, uh, you know, talent is now anywhere and everywhere. Um, we want to find the best talent, not just the mm-hmm. closest. That's right. And, uh, but now we have to fly people in from 20-something states uh, to San Diego, and, and we want to have a, a really nice uh, event, um, and hopefully we'll do that uh, much more often. But there's, there's, there's a lot to that. It's something we're constantly working on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So how do you spend your time when you're not working, David? You know, I have... Um, incredible wife and, and three beautiful young kids. And I just, I love, I love, I love being a dad. I, I love teaching them how to ride bikes. Um, my daughter doesn't know this, but, but in an hour, her new bike is getting delivered. Um, <laughs> Fortunately, like this on, isn't going live right now. <laughs> <laughs> I like going on, on hikes and, and yeah. uh, spending time outdoors, certainly in nature. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that I haven't asked you that you'd like to talk about? You know, I can't think of anything. I've enjoyed the conversation. Yeah. So uh, finally, if if somebody listening to this uh, podcast is thinking, oh, this is a pretty interesting uh, tech that these guys are building, I'd be maybe interested in looking at them. You know, you've talked about that you're going to that you're going to continue growing. Um, how do how do they get a hold of you? What should they do? Uh, they should go on verse.io okay. and um, check out what we do. And, and if it sounds interesting, uh, uh, fill out a form and uh, see what happens. Um, <laughs> you know, what happens. And, and, and they'll get a demo. And, and, okay. uh, and, and what, our, what our team does is it's not like we're selling that kind of the same hamburger over and over again. Mm-hmm. Uh, we design conversation campaigns unique to each customer 
and their needs and, and their current strategies and their current tech stack. Um, and so by getting a demo, what we really do, it's kind of a two-way demo. We want to really learn what their strategies are, what they're currently doing that's working, what they want to supplement and add and augment, what technologies they're using. Are they using Salesforce, HubSpot? What are they using? Um, and then we, we, we uh, will develop uh, the best approach possible to help them succeed and present that to them as a proposal for you know, a pilot or whatever it may be to, to try something with us. Mm-hmm. Well, great. Well, uh, David Tall, uh, co-founder and co-CEO of Verse, uh, I've really enjoyed this conversation. Thanks for joining me. Thank you, Carol. Thank you for listening to Authentically Successful. If you are a successful founder or CEO who would like to be on this program, please visit verticalelevation.com slash podcast slash apply. If you learned something from this interview and it made a difference, please share it on LinkedIn or Twitter. You can also do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend. And if you know of someone who would be a great guest, tag them on LinkedIn or Twitter to let them know about the show and include the hashtag authentically successful. I love seeing your posts and great suggestions. Lastly, we are regularly putting out new episodes and content. And to make sure you don't miss any episodes, please subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. If you want to know more, go to our website, verticalelevation.com, or follow me on LinkedIn. This is Carol Schultz. Thanks again for listening and see you next time.